Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Stephen Avila. And I'm Justin Katches. Hey, Justin, who do we have on the show today? Today, we are lucky enough to host Tanya Zuckerbrot, one of New York City's most well-known businesswomen. Tanya holds a master's degree in nutrition and food studies from NYU. She's also the best-selling author of both the F-Factor Diet and the Miracle Carb Diet, and has appeared on many national television programs, such as The Dr. Oz Show and The View. And if that isn't enough, she's an editorial advisor to the Women's Health Magazine and the official dietitian to the Miss Universe organization. And now we can add Stern Chats to that impressive list of programs. Justin, what are you excited to talk about today? You know, Stephen, her business was recently named a top emerging business by the New York Stock Exchange, which sounds awesome. And you can find out more about it at www.ffactor.com. And give Tanya a follow on Instagram, at Tanya Zuckerbrot, and also at F underscore Factor. We are so grateful to have Tanya on the show today, and we can't wait to learn more about her. What do you think, Justin? Should we start the show? Let's do it. Cue that music. Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Justin Katches. And I'm Stephen Avila. And today we have one of New York City's most well-known businesswomen, Tanya Zuckerbrot. Tanya, thank you so much for being in the studio with us today. Thanks, guys. Tanya, we can't wait to talk about all that you have to say. But in true Stern Chats fashion, can you give us your 30-second elevator pitch? For sure. So my name is Tanya Zuckerbrot. I am a registered dietitian. I am also the CEO and founder of F-Factor. F-Factor is a wellness program that also results in weight loss. And the best description of F-Factor would be that it's the most disruptive and liberating approach to weight management and improved health. That sounds like exactly what I need, especially coming <laughs> into the holidays. <laughs> well, we'd like to start at the beginning. So, Tanya, where did you grow up? I grew up on Long Island here in New York. Mm-hmm. I'm in a town called Great Neck. Right on. A lot of siblings, big family, small family? No, not at all. Small family, um, just one sister. Interesting background, though. My mom is Colombian from South America, and my dad uh, was a Jew from, still is a Jew, (laughs) 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 from Brooklyn. So I have, like, this traditional Jewish, you know, side of my family, and then I have this Colombian side, which really is where my love of food began. You know, Mm -hmm. both uh, both sides of the family, like, you know, had a lot of traditional family recipes, and I found myself cooking with my grandparents a lot. When I was in Colombia, I'd be making dishes like empanadas, arroz frijoles, things like that. And when I was, um, you know, with my Jewish grandmother here in New York, it was things like, you know, chicken noodle soup and noodle kugel. But what I learned from a very— noodle kugel. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, Not exactly F-factor approved, but back in the day, you know. (laughs) Forget about it. You know, but at a very early age, I recognized that food had a very strong connection to family or to feelings of happiness, feelings of love. You know, people express their love, you know, through foods. And I think that's really part of my passion for helping people to enjoy foods so they can enjoy their quality of life, but not sacrifice, Mm. you know, their health or um, looking and feeling their best. When did you discover that you had this interest in food and cooking and nutrition and decided you wanted to pursue this professionally and perhaps through your career? 
in full transparency, I stumbled upon this career as a dietitian, and it's in part because I misunderstood the title of the curriculum here at NYU. <laughs> so <laughs> it said it was food and nutrition studies. Um, so I thought I was really pursuing a career being a chef. I wanted to be a healthy chef. And the way that I got to that career choice was when I was at Michigan undergrad, I went to the University of Michigan. Go blue. Go blue. I had gained the freshman 15, which was not unusual for students. And when I came home that summer, my mom, being a Jewish mom, pointed out to me, <laughs> hey, looks like, not so looks, looks like you filled out a little this year. Um, and, you know, because my mom was Colombian, we never really grew up with, like, a, a, this diet culture. You know, we mm. just, there was always mm. rice on the table, even when there were potatoes. Like, it was just, my mom never dieted. And I, I was naturally an athletic kid. You know, I was a cheerleader. I played tennis. So my mom always had home-cooked meals prepared. We never had a lot of, like, fast food. So I grew up, like, sort of with a healthy weight and healthy meals. And all of a sudden, as a student, you know, you can, you know, in in the cafeteria, if you want to make the Sunday station your dinner, you know, knock yourself out. So (laughs) you have this autonomy, and, you know, you're also drinking a lot of beer, and you're staying up late and studying with pizza. So, you know, the weight sort of came on quickly. But my mom, knowing that my whole life I had loved to cook, she made the suggestion that um, I get a healthy cookbook and that I cook for myself that summer. And at the end of the summer, the weight had come off. Now, what I'm about to say sounds a little bit obvious in this day and age, but I had never made the correlation between food and weight. Mm-hmm. It just, it just, it never had occurred to me. Mm-hmm. And I had this aha moment, like, wow, like what you eat impacts the way that you look and certainly the way that you feel. So I really thought I was going to pursue a career sort of marrying my passion for cooking with my new interest in healthier foods. Mm-hmm. So I thought upon graduating from Michigan, I was going to have a healthy gourmet shop. That that was going to be my career. And because I had spent so many years in Ann Arbor, which was, you know, a small college town, I was sort of desperate to get back to more of an, you know, an urban setting. Mm-hmm. And so in New York, the two schools I was looking at were the Culinary Institute of America and NYU's Food and Nutrition Studies program. The thing about the CIA was that it was in upstate New York, and that was the whole point. I was like, I don't want to be in another small, you know, town. Been there, done that. So I get to NYU, and here I am, you know, preparing to take all these courses on, like, I don't know, like apples, kale, and I show up, and they hand me a list of the prereqs, and they were anatomy, physiology, inorganic chem, organic chem, and biochem. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm here for the cooking classes. Like, what is this? Yeah. And I had no idea that the School of Education, you know, for Food and Nutrition Studies was setting me up to have a clinical career in in Food and Nutrition Studies. I didn't even know that that was even a career path. And that that may sound strange because some may, you may know other people who are dietitians, but back then it was you became a lawyer or a doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one was a dietitian. I didn't know what that mm-hmm. was. So... I was here. I was like, oh, I don't know. I guess I got to sort of see this through. <laughs> so I started taking all these pre-med prerequisites um, because I didn't have them. Uh, you know, undergrad, I was an English major. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. I, n- I had no sort of science background. And as it turned out, I liked the science, which was a big surprise to me. And, um, you know, you, you go through the coursework here. You end up doing a dietetic residency. And I did mine at New York University Hospital. And then I graduated. What's interesting is that you kind of show up and, and you have this realization and you decide to stick it out. Because I look at you, right, and you have this you know, tremendous career and you're an incredibly driven woman. And it, it occurs to me that like you show up and it's like, oh, this is uncertain. This is different. This is not what I was expecting. How do you kind of overcome that first initial like, oh, this is what it's going to be now. Now I have to go do X, Y, and Z. I think I stayed with it because... 
it was like an adult moment for me. You know, I had just graduated from college. My parents had left it up to me to decide what, you know, what my continuing education was, you know, if I were to do it, which was very generous of them to allow me to go on, you know, and continue my education rather than get a job, mm-hmm. that I, I probably should have researched it more. <laughs> 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 and therefore, um, I couldn't admit to my parents <laughs> that I got it wrong. <laughs> so I, I, I think, you know, part of it was just, you know, ego-driven and also just about recognizing that, you know, you just have to show up. And even if it didn't work out, like I was there and I had to show up. And I, I ultimately, you know, did surprise myself, which I think is a great lesson that something may seem uncomfortable or you may be in over your head, mm-hmm. but just show up, <laughs> just, you know. And, Absolutely. And, you know, it, I think looking back, I'm so glad I did because if I pivoted on my heel and I, you know, ran upstate to the Culinary Institute of, Amer- you know, of, of America, I, I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys talking about F-Factor right mm-hmm. now. So uh, that brings me to my next question. You mentioned you had entrepreneurial aspirations when you got to grad school. How did NYU specifically prepare you for that success? So it's interesting. NYU actually didn't prepare me for the entrepreneurial path that I ended up taking. In fact, it almost discourages it. Mm. And I know, you know, we're here at Stern, and you're like, what do you mean? Like, you know, This is all about it. But I wasn't at Stern. I was at the School of Nutrition. And that career path, and I, I talk to, and I think I mentor a lot of dietitians, we are not prepared to become businesswomen. If you look at the curriculum, anatomy, physiology, and organic chemistry, there's no book, there, there's, there, there's no courses on marketing. There's no courses on even bookkeeping. There's, there's, no, there's no coursework that really prepares you to be a businesswoman. What it did prepare me for was being an excellent clinician, mm. meaning that I was going to have all the skills necessary to work in a hospital, all the skills necessary to open up a private practice. But I, I did not have any formal education on how to build the business, which certainly if you were to look at the history of my company and, and the growth and, and you know question the trajectory, I had to make a lot of mistakes to where I got to. I, I think the reason I was able to depart from most of my peers and create a brand was because from a very young age, I just intuitively mm-hmm. had this entrepreneurial spirit. And when people say, like, how do you know, like, if you have it, I'm like, you just know. Like, it's just, you want to create something of value. You want to leave something behind. You want to make people happy. It's it's just in you. So, you know, people say, what was your first business? And my first business, I was five years old. And I think I'd ask my parents for, like, money to buy, like, a pack of gum or something. And they're like, no. And they're like, well, don't you have money? (laughs) I'm five. No. So... The idea of having financial autonomy, you know, mm-hmm. and how was I going to figure this out? So I went to my backyard and I found some rocks that I thought were really, you know, nice looking. And then I went to my front yard and I put up a sign and I said, rocks for sale. So you can't teach you a kid that. Rocks? I sold rocks. My first business was selling rocks. Did people buy them? And people bought That's them. That's a high margin business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I think people bought them because they just felt sad for this girl selling rocks. <laughs> they probably, you know, they were probably like, you know, priced well, um, you know, at good market. Yeah, so, um, but ever since then, you know, I've always had businesses. I made bracelets. I made, you know, barrettes. But anyway, so here I am now at at NYU with with doctors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they... I don't think it's a fair thing to say. It's a gross generalization, but they they say that doctors aren't the best businessmen because it's mm-hmm. right brain, left brain. You know, mm-hmm. it's and you know my husband, who's a very successful real estate developer, sometimes will get into arguments when we talk about my business, and he'll say like, you know, you're, you're just you're too emotional about this. I'm like, but my business is people. Like your business is bricks. Like of <laughs> course this is very emotional <laughs> to me. Yeah. But you know, so 
what ended up happening was I stayed through the coursework at NYU, and I, I'm not that smart, but I'm a very good student. Like, I, I'm willing to study twice as hard as everyone else, which mm-hmm. I think is also, like, something about entrepreneurs. Like, that's what's going to – that is going to set you apart from your peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people say it's luck, it's ambition, it's smart. I mean, I think it's a lot of things, but it's grit, it's drive, and, and it's work ethic. I think I have a lot of that, not necessarily natural abilities or natural intelligence, but I certainly have some of those characteristics, and that's sort mm-hmm. of what made me put my head, you know, my nose to, you know, the books and sort of follow through on something that I hadn't really anticipated. Oh, you have to be a doctor for this program? Okay, yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> exactly. But when you graduate from um, this program here at NYU, this clinical program with, as I said, no business courses whatsoever, the next step is to fulfill your residency. Mm-hmm. And your rotations include oncology and renal and cardiovascular rotations, once again, all sciences. Mm-hmm. So when I graduated from that, I knew that I wanted to be my own boss. Like that was something that I was always certain of, probably that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. And I opened up my own private practice. And th- that was for two reasons. One, as I said, I wanted to do my own thing and, and build something. Um, but the other, the other part of it was that when you counsel clients in a hospital setting, it's really not a great time to build relationships. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're, they're typically in a bed connected to 20 wires. Mm-hmm. They, it's not really where they have, like, the most dignity, right? They're in a gown, like, with, you know, <laughs> with yeah. their backside showing. it. And, funny socks and, and, on. Yeah, exactly. And then they get discharged, so there's no follow-up. Mm-hmm. In a private practice, they're coming to you dressed, as they would for work or for, you know, any social function. Mm-hmm. They have their dignity about them. And—, and they're paying you. Like, they are there, you know, due to their own you know, volition. That They are there to seek your advice. They're invested in it. You know, when people ask, like, how did you start your private practice, you know, for your listeners who, you know, are thinking about building businesses, I started it the way many people do, with, you know, through cold calling. Mm-hmm. Back then, cold calling was really old-fashioned. I opened up the yellow pages. <laughs> I know, so, it sounds so antiquated. Um, and I sent out 100 cover letters to um, doctors, mm-hmm. to endocrinologists and cardiologists. And as I said, I'm more than happy to share the many, many mistakes I've made. But the one thing I did write in this situation was I understood that what I was looking for was for these doctors to send me patients, mm-hmm. but I couldn't make it about what they could do for me. So this is so important in sales. It's like, you know, what can I do for you to enhance your business? So in my cover letter, I wrote to these doctors that I'm a dietitian, mm-hmm. and I just want to enhance the the exceptional medical care they're already providing. And because they're so busy, they don't necessarily have the time to create these detailed diets. I can work as an extension of their medical team, and I could pres- I could create these diets that would basically make them look like rock stars because they're going to refer the clients to me. The clients going to credit the doctor for the results they're seeing, and they're going to view me as an extension of the doctor's medical You're team. You're coming to them as a partner almost. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and out of the hundred. Uh, letters that I wrote. So I, I created these folders and I put in my resume, which was pretty thin, you know, included my, my rock selling business and you know, other things. Um, Successful yeah, rock exactly. I um, put in a cover letter. And as I said, the cover letter really was speaking to them, like trying to hook them, like this is about helping you, you know, you're not doing me any favors. Um, and then the last thing I did, which is pretty cheesy, but if it helps any of your students, I, I put in a headshot. <laughs> I know that sounds so strange, but I think there was always something about me that recognized that like who I was and my ability to connect with people is going to be always part of my brand. Mm-hmm. You know that I I always saw this ability to sort of personalize whatever I was selling as a way to really bring an authenticity to my message. Mm-hmm. Um so I sent out 100 uh of these packages and can you guess what the return was? How many phone calls I got? 
Let's see how... 200? <laughs> 200 100. I'm going to say somewhere near 10%. Yeah, not even. Not even 10%. No, 2%. 2%. Yeah. So two. Two doctors. Wow. But it's all it took. So I think it's another great business lesson. Is sometimes it just takes one. Yeah. Right? Sometimes yeah. it's that one phone call. And these two doctors called me into their office, and I'm young. I'm 25 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm starting my own private practice. And, you know, they called me, and I took a meeting with them, and... They said to me, you know, we'll take a shot on you. And they each sent me one client. That was it, one patient. And they said, let's see what you do with it. So one doctor was a cardiologist. One doctor was an endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. And um, my job was to create this diet that would improve their health. So to lower cholesterol for the cardiovascular patient, to manage sugars for the diabetic patient. And after three months of following the program that I created, they've returned to the doctors for a repeat blood workup. And what we found was that... Indeed, the cholesterol came down, the sugars came down, but something else happened. Both clients had lost weight. Now, that's interesting because I didn't set out to produce weight loss, so I'm mm-hmm. scratching my head. I'm like, why is everyone losing weight? And this kept repeating with because they kept sending more clients because we we're getting the clinical benefits out of the program. Mm-hmm. But the weight loss was this really unusual but well-received and you know byproduct. And what was so interesting was that we were working in this outpatient setting, which meant that my clients, these patients – we're still going to work and attending social gatherings or family gatherings. And, you know, if I was a chiropractor and I fixed your back and you walk into a party, no one's going to notice, you know. Mm. But if all of a sudden you lose 20 pounds in a few months, someone might say, hey, like, what's going on? You look great. Oh, my cardiologist made me go to this dietitian, and I lost 20 pounds in three months. And yet I'm still dining out. I'm drinking alcohol. I'm not working out that much harder. So my phone started to ring from all of like my clinical patients, friends and families and coworkers saying, you know, my sugars are fine, my cholesterol's fine. You know, can I get the weight loss part of what he or she did? And that really was the birth of F factor. So, you know, when people ask like how I was, you know, at the forefront of understanding fiber and its clinical benefits, I, I, I joke that, you know, it, it was the equivalent of Isaac Newton sitting under the apple tree and like <laughs> the apple falls on my head and I discover gravity because what I forgot to mention was, you know, when I started to notice all these clients were losing weight and I was surprised by that, I took a look at the diets because they were really different. Like one was focused on, you know, reducing saturated fats. The other was focused on reducing sugar levels. And knowing that they were so disparate, I was like, what, what's the commonality here that could be mm-hmm. producing weight loss in both these very sort of different patient populations? And it was fiber. So F-Factor, my company, mm-hmm. um, that F stands for fiber. Fiber was the factor that was contributing to not only the clinical health benefits, but the weight loss properties, where my clients are able to lose weight without hunger, but get healthier. So I know that seemed like a very long-winded story, but um, I think sometimes, you know, people are so, they, they think that they need to have like sort of every single step to mm-hmm. know like where they're going, you know, and a lot of times, like, you have to almost have faith in the process because it's sometimes it's the accidents that happen or the things that you stumble upon that that all of a sudden sort of make you just angle a little bit differently, and that's where your true success lies. So you have to be sometimes fluid and, 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 and open to the process because when I went into my private practice, I really thought I was going to have this clinical private practice. Mm-hmm. And now I'm known as like a weight loss guru. You know, we have books and products. I have dietitians who work underneath me. And it's completely different than what I had anticipated. Mm. It's very cool. It, it, it reminds me a lot of kind of a lot of, uh, a lot of the students who show up here at Stern who are like, 
I'm going to work at this bank, right? And like, that's my one goal. And then they get here and they discover that they have a passion for technology or for luxury marketing, right? And they pivot and, and it's almost by accident just from kind of putting, just from showing up exactly like you said, right? So when you started this private practice and you send out these cover letters, had you formulated a diet or is this just kind of standard procedure? I'm trying to understand, like, is there a secret sauce here that you had kind of like had a, had a um, not a thesis, but a point of view on a certain type of diet that could help these doctors? Or is this just kind of like you had, you were pulling from a bunch of different sources and then you just kind of stumbled upon gold? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I don't want to discredit myself because I sound so much smarter and cooler that like, I sort of like <laughs> knew. But no, I mean, that's, you know, where I'm really humble about that mm-hmm. I, I had a traditional degree from NYU, like, yeah. you know, my peers, mm-hmm. and I was using what NYU had taught me about health and wellness to lower cholesterol managed sugars and I had extrapolated from my books you know, I knew that fiber was going to be good for lowering cholesterol because mm-hmm. that's what I had learned here um, fiber acts like a sponge it could absorb cholesterol and pull it out of the body I had also learned that fiber um, slows down gastric emptying and therefore you get better blood sugar control but nowhere in my books from NYU or the books that we were, NYU were using mm-hmm. did they understand that fiber had these weight management properties it wasn't the trend at the time mm-hmm. when I actually discovered fiber's weight management properties, it was during Atkins when no one was eating carbs at all. So mm-hmm. it was like a, it was a complete departure from whatever was actually trending. And I think that's also important for your listeners to know is that sometimes the greatest ideas are going to be a complete departure. And it's it's going to almost be uncomfortable because it's no one else is sort of agreeing with it or substantiating what you're doing. The only problem with being a little too early to the game was that I was so early that there was a trend that was so popular at the time mm-hmm. that I almost had to wait for that to peter out because I didn't have the dollars to build my brand through marketing. Like, I couldn't get there. Like, there were these big players in this space with very loud voices. And here I am being like, nope, ineffective, fiber. <laughs> you know? I have two clients. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it did build, and um, it it grew in part because it was A, effective, so if if you know if you're going to have a brand or a product like you it it has to be effective. But I think also what set it apart was the fact that it felt disruptive because my message was one that really felt liberating. You know, the world of dieting has always felt very punitive. Mm. Um, you know, when you think of the word diet, you think of words like deprivation, denial, hunger, and I came out with a very different message. Mm-hmm. My diet you know, my, my the F Factor plan said you can dine out from day one. You can enjoy cocktails from day one. You can eat carbs from day one, and you can actually work out less. And I think it's that, written right on the website. Yeah, and I think that message, um, as I said, was so welcomed because most people had done just the opposite to lose weight: cut out carbs, don't drink alcohol. They weren't drinking alcohol. They weren't dining out. They were sitting home with like a frozen diet dinner. They felt they had to cook like these really complicated, like healthy recipes from the farmer's market. And they were also told that they had to work out like five to seven days a week. And without doing those things, you can't possibly lose weight. And in fact, our reliance on that messaging has actually resulted in us being the fattest nation in the world. So all you have to do is look statistically Mm -hmm. and you recognize that so much of the information that we're being fed um, was not serving us. So now here comes this person who is has the authority and the credibility because I have the education, I have the degrees. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do have my master's from NYU and I have the RD degree as well. I had all this clinical experience. So 
people also understood that my interest in weight loss was really a byproduct of making sure they were getting healthier. Mm -hmm. So we exist in this age of information, and you mentioned all of these different trends uh, that you've experienced in your own career. And I think of my own perspective as a nutritional novice, if you will, and for people that are listening, you know, how do how do people kind of rift through these trends that come and go and, you know, maybe specifically with F Factor and, and learning what is it about the fiber specifically and what foods and programs can we take advantage of, you know, to, to see these yeah. great benefits you just described? So one of our sort of taglines is be informed, not influenced. The nutrition space is really crowded and often it's some of the people with the largest platforms and the loudest voices that are the least qualified to be doing the speaking. All you have to do is go to Instagram and see, you know, a trainer or a blogger, you know, with millions of followers, and they're they're putting out advice that may not be sound. I spend a lot of time educating. It's something I take so much pride in. I always say, I don't believe in dictating, I believe in educating. Because mm -hmm. if I can educate you and the information now resonates with you on a cognitive level, that's where the buy-in happens. Mm -hmm. And to me, if you feel educated, you are now empowered to make decisions that honor your intentions to look and feel your best. So through empowerment, I think, is also like where the good feelings about F-Factor came from because people weren't being dictated to. They understood the why. And look, I'm like really humbled who my clients are. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm dealing with some of the smartest, most powerful people in the world. And I'm sometimes just baffled that, you know, they listen to me. <laughs> <I'm> like, wow. <laughs> and, you know, when I think about who my clients are, it's it, it makes me understand that the smarter you are, the more you love F-Factor because the smarter you are, the more you're not going to take things at face value. You mm -hmm. want to know why something is working. So education, I think, is also at the core of my company's success that I view F-Factor. I know I you know, described in my elevator pitch as a wellness company or weight loss company, but it's an educational company. We do it through education, not through mm -hmm. dictation. I always explain to my clients or when, you know, I, I give lectures that I'm simply the conduit from like the research, from from the science labs to the lay people. And my job is to deliver the information um, in a way that's easy to digest. No pun intended. It's like diet humor. Um, <laughs> Because I really want to empower people, yeah. and that's where, you know, if you follow me on social, the hashtag smart guys eat fiber came from and smart girls eat fiber. Because the smarter you are, the more you're, you're going to be invested in eating this way because the why becomes so obvious. It's like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Fiber is completely indigestible. It has zero calories. But it fills you up. It revs up metabolism. It allows you to eat carbs without weight gain. It has so many health benefits, everything from lowering cholesterol, managing blood sugar levels, which is why I was prescribing it to those clients years ago. It reduces inflammation in the body. Inflammation is linked to psoriasis, alopecia, Crohn's, colitis, uh, Parkinson's, MS, you name it. I mean, the more we learn about fiber, the, the more we recognize we need more of it. We're in a fiber deficit in this country. And even though like we're this amazing country and we're industrialized, it caused us to like strip the fiber out of all our foods. And our diet is, the American diet is refined and processed and we're really unhealthy and fat because of it. Mm -hmm. And when you look at third world countries that aren't as industrialized with a much higher fiber sort of content of their diet, you don't see the obesity that we do. So, mm -hmm. so much of my messaging is really to educate people and explain why we need this, how they can get it, and also to deliver it um, in ways that are really delicious. A very big message for me and for F-Factor is I want to change your life without compromising your lifestyle. You know, I, I want you to feel liberated from the space that eating well or being healthy 
has to have like this negative sort of connotation. You know, I think people think, you know, fattening foods is delicious food and healthy foods, tasteless food, or having a good body means like being really restrictive or overly committing to the gym all the time. It just sounds exhausting. It doesn't sound mm-hmm. like that much fun. And I think that's where F factor really resonates with people. It's like, wait, I can drink alcohol from, from day one. I can travel. I can dine out. And social media for me has, I think, really be- become like a game changer mm-hmm. because I live the F-Factor lifestyle. I always say no one does F-Factor better than Tanya. You know, I joke with my <laughs> clients. I'm like, you guys think like, you know, I'm happy this thing exists for you. I'm happy it exists for me. Yeah. I want to look and feel a certain way. And I definitely don't want to compromise my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I love, you know, enjoying cocktails with friends. I love traveling. And what was so great about um, Instagram's stories was that it really gave people access to my life. I'm a very open book. I, I don't know if I... My husband says I overshare. <laughs> I say I share a lot, um, and I think it really gave an it gave people insight on how how fun it is to eat this way and to see the byproduct of it. That you you know mm-hmm. I'm a mom. They see my kids eat this way. They see me traveling all over the world. I've done F Factor in Italy, in Greece, in South America. Um, you know, at a diner in New York City. I mean, you really can eat this way anywhere and everywhere. So, mm-hmm. social media, I think, really, I think gave people sort of that insight into the authenticity of the brand as well. Like, she well, practices are, what she preaches. Yeah, you are your brand, essentially, right? I am. Which is, like, it's funny. Like, I have a COO now, and the company's grown a lot, and um, you know, we certainly can explore that, um, mm-hmm. especially, you know, for your for people who listen that are thinking about starting a business. And that that is sort of something that we struggle with because I am the brand, but like most brands, either you know you you want an exit. Mm-hmm. So then, what happens there? Like, if Tanya's the brand, will someone acquire the brand? Like, mm-hmm. or, or do I have to be a slave to this brand forever? You know, <laughs> when do I get out? So it's a delicate balance about being sort of the founder and the spokesperson, but also having the brand have its own voice. So that's really how I see myself. Yes, I I certainly am the founder, and mm-hmm. I and I can educate people, inspire them to do F Factor, and you know, I definitely encourage you know my company to use me, you know, in that way. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I see myself, though, certainly as a clinician, but more of a life coach. Mm -hmm. Um, F-Factor to me really is about inspiring people not to settle for mediocrity where excellence can exist. If you were to ask me what I'd want on my tombstone, it would be that. Because I think you can apply that to anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's don't settle for mediocrity in your friendships. Don't settle for mediocrity in your career. Don't settle for mediocrity um, in in your health or or in your weight. Nothing's handed to you. You know, you're not entitled to greatness or success, but if you're willing to work for it, then you, you know, you're certainly closer to it. And I think that's really my message with F Factor is be the best you can be. Don't mm-hmm. compare yourself to anyone because other people's standards, you know, may be much lower than yours. So it sounds like great job. You're like, well, look at you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> that doesn't mean much to me. Yeah. And also be careful comparing yourself to people whose standards are so ridiculously high. You may be chasing something that's not attainable. So I think it's so important for each person to create their own benchmarks Mm -hmm. for success and define what that means to them. Like, what does success mean to you? And I help my clients define that, you know, in the, in the space of wellness, because a healthy weight is objective, Um, you know, beauty and all that, that's subjective, of course, but anything above uh, 20% body fat for men is overweight and Mm -hmm. for women it's 25. But the message, I always say F factor is not just about weight loss. It's about being the best you can be mm-hmm. and not settling for mediocrity where greatness can exist. That's a really interesting part about this brand um, is that it's it has all the medical chops and the science behind it, but it's also 
uh, has a lot of kind of psychological benefits as well, right? You talk about empowerment, and I can see how passionate you are about kind of educating and and putting, you know, helping other people. And it, it, it it's interesting to me because you started out with this small personal practice, right? You mentioned at the beginning how a hospital is an impersonal place, place, and you wanted it to be in a room like this where you could sit and connect with people. And I'm, I'm trying to draw the parallel between that and just kind of like being on a diet and, and kind of changing the attitude about what it means to diet, right? It's not starvation. It's not, you know, a punishment. It's about empowerment. And, and you know, we learn a lot about that at business school, how you always have to kind of put the customer first, right? Understand the consumer's behavior and, and start there and work backwards. So I'm curious, what do you think about how your brand fosters that psychological benefit and makes that connection with the consumer. Yeah. Um, so we'll begin with the word diet. It's probably the most misused word in the English vernacular. We just use it incorrectly. When we hear the word diet, we think of weight loss. We think of deprivation, denial, and hunger. It At has least the most word die do. in it. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sounds <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but with that being said, if you were to open up Webster's Dictionary and you would look at the true definition of it, it simply means a pattern of eating for man or mammal. There's vegan diets. There's kosher diets. Those have nothing to do with weight loss. Um, a kosher diet is simply a, a pattern of not combining meat with dairy. A vegan diet is a pattern of not you know, eating animal products. An NBA diet? Exactly. Know, know. <laughs> Joe's pizza. So, you know, my message to people is that, you know, if we think about diet just as a pattern of eating, right away we're sort of stripping away a lot of sort of the, the negative noise that surrounds this. So I think part of setting my brand apart was to sort of remove it from the space because that space had had such a negative connotation. Mm. So I had to almost rebrand what the word diet meant. And I spent a lot of time educating people on just that fact that it's just a pattern of eating. So F-factor is a pattern of eating fiber and protein at every meal. Um, I think it was also important for F-factor's principles, which were to dine, not drink alcohol, um, you know, eat carbs from day one and work out less. It sounds disruptive for just disruption's sake. Like, mm. oh, let's just like, you know, shake it up and let's just get people to show up. But that's just smoke and mirrors. It was disruptive because it was counterintuitive to everything that people were hearing, which is why it felt, it's why I think people were so willing to sort of like welcome it. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you've got to be able to back it up with science. And if there's one thing I say is that I, when it comes to wellness, I will not say anything that I cannot back up with published journal studies, you know, with, with, with empirical scientific evidence. And it's, I think the same, like, you know, for any business person, like if you're giving a pitch, like you better be able to back it up. Mm -hmm. Like you know, sometimes like when I watch Shark Tank and you know they're throwing these numbers out, I'm like, are they gonna do due diligence after this? And what I found out, <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys know this, like I thought they were making a decision like in that short time that we were watching. Are you guys like do you know that's like a four hour pitch? Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. I was like really amazed by that. Um and then afterwards, through the due diligence, a lot of times those deals fall through. Mm -hmm. So oh, I think being transparent. Um, is so important, being honest. Like, don't inflate your numbers. Like, if I said to you, you can eat carbs from day one and you know, you're going to lose weight, I better be able to back that up. Like, you can't draw in a customer by saying something sensational mm -hmm. without being able to back it up. So I think that is what sort of made F-Factor very sexy, was that we were saying things that really, as I said, were counterintuitive, that felt extremely liberating. Um, but then, like, when you dig deeper, you're like, wow, like, this makes total sense. Like, this woman 
and I'll say this humbly, is really smart. Now, the reason I sort of laugh and I say that is my husband jokes, it's this is like the only thing I know, you know, like <laughs> some people like know a lot about many things. So it's the one thing that I have dedicated my entire career to. But yes, when it comes to nutrition, I am really smart and I have to be. To be successful in this, I have to dedicate myself mm. to having my finger on the pulse. I need to be reading like the latest research. And I think no matter what industry you're in, you can't rely on what you learned 20 years ago and then be a pioneer. So I'm constantly challenged to continue to grow and learn, which I think you know serves my personality, which is I love to learn. You know, when I was a student here at NYU and I finished, I received my master's, I could not believe how much I had learned in four years. I was like, I came in here knowing nothing about any of this. And now I, I, I have an entire grasp, like, on on this on this field. So if people got an MBA now, like, I could have been, like, an <laughs> academic student my whole life. And I actually called my father up. Um, I remember being here. And I said, you know, it was my last day. I was like, I just can't believe how much I've learned. And, and I actually asked him. I was like, so, you know, do you think I can get an MBA? And he's like, I think you can get a job. <laughs> like, you have been a student for eight years. Like, enough. Like, go, like, earn a dollar. Well, well speaking of learning, you're an author um, as well. And you have a book uh, called The F-Factor Diet, Discover the Secret to Permanent Weight yeah. Loss, which, is, interestingly enough, has that Isaac Newton apple on the cover. And I'm curious, you know, what is the process of having this business and putting all these thoughts into a book and acquiring research and, you know, just walk us through what it's like being an author and what that's meant for your business as well. So they say being an author is like childbirth. It's like you don't know like how hard it's going to be. And it's like it's writing a book is really, really, really hard. And as you're writing it, you almost promise yourself you're never going to do it again. And then, you know, you see your book one day, it's like your baby and you forget. So then, you know, that's why I wrote the second book. But it's a lot of work writing a book. Um, but for people that want to write a book, I would say do it for a few reasons. One, it definitely gives you credibility, mm-hmm. you know, to to not not when you self-publish. <laughs> so, that's just that's that's basically for your ego, you know. But standing what, on the corner, exactly. Washington Square Park. <laughs> <laughs> but if 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 you can get a you know a publishing house actually publish something of yours, why that excited me was that. I am someone, I think this is, you know, every entrepreneur's dream is we want to leave something behind. Mm-hmm. And no matter what happens, and, and you know, in, in, the, in, in the book of Congress, like, there is an F-Factor book, whether it's mm. sold one copy or none. Like, that was really important for me. I've always admired um, architects or artists because, you know, when, when you walk around, like, you see a building or you see a piece of art, it's like, that's so cool. That's their legacy. And same yeah. with an author. Like, you can really leave that behind. But it does give you a lot of credibility, and it helped to build my brand because once you have a book, you start going on talk shows. Um, and then you become an expert in your field. So if you want to be seen as an expert, writing a book is a really important part of the process to give that credibility to you. So it was it was a a lot of work, a lot of a lot of research. And you know something else I want to say about the book though, the book was first published in two thousand and six, and right we're at the end of two thousand and eighteen. It's outselling now than what it did in its first year. Really? So there's one thing that I think has set me apart. People say, like, how did you get to where you got to? It's a few aspects of my personality. One, I think I'm really resilient, and we could talk about resiliency in business and why that matters. I was really consistent with my message, guys. I never wavered, even when it was really unpopular. As I said, when I first discovered fibers, like this weight loss tool, this was the Atkins era. Mm-hmm. And here was like this billion-dollar brand promoting like a low-carb diet, and fiber is only found in carbs. But, I, but because I knew that what I had discovered was based on science, 
once I discovered that truth, that truth became my own truth. And I just, I never wavered. And I just stayed the course, stayed the course. And something else I did that um, I think was, as I said, I've made a lot of mistakes. And please, you know, feel free to, we can explore them. I love for people to learn from them so they don't have to repeat them. But the other thing that I did that was right was not only was I consistent with my message, I stayed on course. Mm-hmm. Like, and, 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 and we could talk about pivoting, the importance of pivoting. I think pivot has to happen like when like you sort of hit a dead end. I just wasn't getting a lot of traction, but I knew that what I had had merit. Like I knew that this thing was worth scale- scaling. I knew that the clients who were using it were seeing extraordinary results. So by being really consistent with my message and staying on course, I ended up when Fiverr became popular, I was the Fiverr girl. And I remember when people would say, oh, you're that fiber lady at the beginning of my career. It was like the least sexy thing in the world. I was like, <laughs> I need, fiber lady? I, I was like, no, I need a way cooler, like, you know, name. Like, that yeah. sucks. Like, I, I don't want to be the fiber lady. Like, there's got to be something better. But then as fiber started to trend, all of these Fortune, you know, Fortune 50 companies like, you know, Procter & Gamble, General Mills, they had these high fiber products. Mm-hmm. And they sort of looked to me to be an authority on these products. And I started to become a spokesperson for these things. So... Staying, I think, true to my convictions, being consistent with my message, and not trying to be everything to everyone. And I saw that a lot of my peers, you know, in this like really like new crowded nutrition space, were trying to do that. Like whatever the next trend was, they would speak to it. They want to be, in, but nothing really was sort of proprietary. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of you had asked me that, like, well, how did you like create this proprietary diet? And what I said to you is graduating from NYU, there was nothing that's proprietary about our information. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's information. You can't mm. own it. It's not your IP. F-Factor as a program ended up becoming, you know, my IP as far as how I'm delivering it. But ultimately, like, I don't own the Fiverr category. <laughs> you know, it's it's it was available for anyone. I'm just, I'm, I'm happy that um, I recognize earlier on the most that Fiverr had this really amazing weight management property. Mm-hmm. And... 67% of this country is overweight. So as a business, you know, one of the things when I was, you know, raising capital was what I'm selling, you know, the idea of health and wellness, two out of every three people in this country needs it. It's not like mm-hmm. a widget that one out of every 100 people. It's like literally two out of every three people in this country need what I'm selling. Big market. Big market. So uh, throughout your whole career, what was your proudest moment? One proud moment. I've had a long career. I've been doing this for more than 20 years. So it's... It's a lot to pull back from, but if I were to think my proudest moment, I would say that there's there was one recently, um, which was I was chosen um, as a top businesswoman um, in New York. I want to say it's the New York Business Journal, mm-hmm. um, and I believe I was awarded that last year. Um, I should, I should I, thank you. Um, and what was so exciting for me was it was a business journal, and. I'm a clinician, you know, by trade. And to be recognized as a businesswoman without that formal MBA education, and when you see the other women that receive this award, many of them are C-level executives, mm-hmm. you know, um, at public companies, or, you know, they work, you know, they're, they're partners, you know, in hedge funds. That, that, to me, like, really felt very validating because it sort of spoke to this entrepreneurial spirit that I had but my interest in being a clinician really spoke to my heart. I am someone that really loves people, and I wanted to work with people, and I wanted to make people's lives better. If I could do it through food, which is what I thought I was originally going to do, healthy food, which then resulted in making their lives better through dietary advice. But my interest was always about making the world a better place, 
inspiring people to be their best, um, you know, giving them the tools to do so. And I I really believe, like, for F factors, like the essence in the heart, it's it's why, like, this company sort of stands out. And it's why I know the future is so bright for F factor because at its core is a founder mm. that really has an altruistic motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want to leave a legacy where people look back and be like, you know, she really cared. And I, I, I think that's what my clients see. You know, they're still, even though I'm the CEO and I'm responsible for product development and um, for marketing, and we could talk about, you know, the future of F-Factor because it's been such an exciting year of growth for us. Um, I think we we grew like 500% this year. Wow, it was major. Um, and that was, as I said, you know, we launched products this year, which we could talk about. And, you know, mm-hmm. why, if you, you know, are like this, person that always wants to be sort of connected to people, you know, why did you go into consumer packaged goods? You know, what was that leap? But um, ultimately going back to that proud moment, it was being recognized as a business person, but still knowing that my feet were still really grounded, um, working with people in this really authentic way, because I never understood people that just cared about the deal, about margins, about profitability. I understand the value of it, but I don't know. Like I, I, I couldn't do that job. That's what I was saying with my husband when he was when I was getting very upset about something the, about business, and he's like, "Don't get so emotional about this." And my response was, "My business is people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, your business is bricks. You know." I, so I really love that line, by the way. And I can yeah. only imagine you're having this conversation, and he says, "Don't be so emotional about it." I can only imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't you get it? Like, this is what I do. It is, and you know, I think it's. I think that's what would set this company apart yeah. from the other weight loss companies out. There is that it is it is founded by someone that it's it, I didn't go to Harvard to get an MBA to create the next billion dollar brand you know and a lot of people sort of like they put the cart before the horse like okay yeah. so like what's big business what are industries as you said you know there's a huge need out there right you know a huge marketplace I really I kept stumbling upon this and I think that's why I'm always so transparent about the fact and and I say it really humbling like I just you know it, the apple falling on my head you know figuring out the fiber thing it's because. I think that's that's the authenticity of this brand. What do you say to entrepreneurs and maybe women specifically who are interested in starting their own business and you know entering this this world, if you will? Um, what advice do you have for them? I have a lot of advice. <laughs> One of my biggest failures that I saw at the time, if you would have said, Satani, you just shared with us, you know what, you know one of you know your highs, you know what was one of your lows? One of my lows, or what I perceived was my biggest failure, was my failure to raise capital. And it's because I did not have the skill sets. As I said, I didn't have the MBA. I had tenacity. I had drive. Mm -hmm. I had passion. I knew I was a good clinician. I knew I wanted to build the next big weight loss brand. I knew where my A was. I knew where my Z was. I didn't know how to connect the dots necessarily. But I started to attract a lot of attention because of who my clients were. And a lot of players in the weight loss space um, sort of came towards me. It's like, how are you going to scale this? Because they saw the opportunity. And they... um, they recommended that I go raise capital to scale. And I was in over my head. I, I really did not know what I was doing. And um, it was the first time for me professionally that I think I ever had really failed at something because I, I didn't get them, I didn't raise the money. And my message for that is looking back, it was actually the best thing that ever happened for me. And that's because. Now that the companies grew more organically and on its own, I actually own 100% of it. Back then, I would have ended up selling a big portion of my company for a, a little bit of capital, and I really would have not only lost control, 
but also lost my own business. So the biggest lesson is sometimes rejection is God's protection. That you know, just when you think you should throw in the towel and you know this is like you don't have it within you. It's when once again, it's my the resiliency that I had within me. It's like it crushed me, and it was the first time ever. Because remember, I said like I was a student. I had always gone straight A's. I graduated top of my class here at NYU. It was the first time I'd ever set out to do something where I failed. Like I wanted to write a book, I wrote a book. I wanted a private practice, I had a private practice. I set out to raise capital and I couldn't do it. I just I couldn't speak to the numbers authentically. Mm. And you know I, I had a little bit of training so I could speak like one inch deep. But if I got challenged by a really seasoned investor, they knew I was like in over my head. But as I said, when I look back on that, rejection was God's protection. What do I mean by that? That what we want is based on what we think think we either should have or that we deserve because of our hard work or what we believe is like what's best for us. And um, for your listeners who are not that spiritual, I apologize, but um, I am. (laughs) So I'll just share with you how I viewed this, which was, you know, and through my readings, because when you've had a lot of failures, sometimes you do turn to something bigger. Mm -hmm. And this to me was a tremendous failure. And what I found out is that when we don't get what we want in the moment, we don't know what the future is. And therefore, if you're a person of faith, you need to understand that rejection is God's protection. God's looking out for you. He's saying, you know what? I'm not going to give this to you now because I actually know what your true destiny is. So this can apply to many things. Like, you know, if, if you want that job, maybe that, that he didn't, you know, you didn't get it because that company would have been sued. But in the moment when you get the rejection, you're like, I don't understand. Like, why wouldn't I was like the last two candidates to get in? Like, you, you'd be crushed. And the reason I'm sharing this story is that if you can start to apply this to things that go wrong in business, you know, every time something goes wrong, um, you know, because you don't always want to pivot. Obviously, there's a point that you do. But if you don't give up and you just say, okay, like, I don't understand this, but I believe so much what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep going. That That's really going to what separate the people from, like, who are those visionaries and never give up. I think most entrepreneurs who are successful had some form of major rejection or major obstacle set in front of them. And the, the ones who – and I think that's why victory becomes so sweet for those people – and I am fascinated by people who have built billion-dollar brands in one generation, like Tony Hsu with Zappos, Howard Schultz with Starbucks. Like, I just think it's the coolest thing that in one generation you have created a billion-dollar brand and a legacy. But when you read these people's autobiographies, and I have, they have had like – you get there's, there's, they get so close to the edge of just imploding, of just mm-hmm. saying like this can't be – this is not going to work. And it's that 1% that just does not give up. So, um, and I think when they look back, they understood that even when those things were catastrophic, often that's actually what pivoted them to greatness. That was the catalyst. Yeah. Exactly. So you mentioned uh, you had, speaking of billion-dollar brands, uh, let's talk about the future of F-Factor. You mentioned you grew 500% this year. I'm looking at your website, and I can see the book that you mentioned, but also protein powders, bars. What is next for F-Factor? So we will continue in the CPG space, and... The authenticity of that, because like, wait, now you're going from patient care to products. My clients were asking for products that were that were that could work for F Factor, mm-hmm. and half my clients are men, um, which is also unique for like a, a weight loss brand. Typically, like they skew to one demographic or the other. You know, you think of Jenny Craig and women, Atkins for men, but like half my patients are men, and and a lot of the male clients were asking for a protein powder. You know, after a workout, you want a protein powder, but there was no protein powder in the market that had fiber. Um, so I was recommending other products and trying to put them together to create like the perfect solution. I realized, wait, I, I can create a solution. So 
the protein powder that we created, the F-Factor 2020 fiber protein powder, has three times the fiber of any leading product on the market, and it's why the thing just blew up. Like, we launched it, the website crashed. Um, we had, That's actually a good sign. It was a good right. sign. You know, we had, we had manufactured enough for what we thought was going to be, like, three months of inventory. We sold out in three hours. So, I mean, that was, like, super exciting. So we saw that there was, there was a void in the marketplace for these kinds of products. Um, and the best part was it was enhancing my my patient's journey on, on that factor because we were providing them with foods that were really effective for weight management, um, offering numerous health benefits, but that actually tasted really good. So that the, the future includes creating more and more products that, as I said, will enhance the F-Factor journey for the user. And it's great because, as I said, I'm the user too. <laughs> you know, so I get to enjoy these products just as much. And if you follow me on social, um, you'll see that I'm consuming these all the time. It's just, you know, they're natural, they're healthy, and, um, you know, they allow you to manage your weight without hunger. And how can we follow you on yeah, social media? It's at Tanya Zuckerbrot is my personal handle, and at F Factor is the company's. So we have that component, and there's also a technology component. Um, we're going to um, enter into the digital space, hopefully by 2020. So those who don't have access to the private practice or to one of our dietitians can join F Factor online, and uh, we will be expanding the app. Right now, there is a free app, um, you know, in the Apple Store, uh, but we recognize as a company, you know, we have to we have to sort of strengthen our digital arm. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. We're going to also be producing a ton of digital content next year. So we're working with a really cool firm here in New York um, to produce a lot of really great um, marketing materials and have those assets. So um, we'll be able to really communicate our message in a really fun and disruptive way that really speaks to, like, the coolness of the brand. So, yeah, I mean, that's the future. It's technology. It's more products, um, hopefully more speaking engagements, hopefully a TED Talk, and, you know, being a guest on podcasts like this so I can Fantastic. Well, you're welcome to come back anytime. Well, and thanks, guys. As we think about ending uh, this conversation, what advice would you have for people and, you know, maybe MBA students in particular? You know, we've mentioned unhealthy eating habits of students. And, you know, I think as young people, our health isn't necessarily at the top of our mind. And, you know, what, what advice would you have for people that may be thinking to be more uh, thoughtful and mindful about what they eat and consume and their health more holistically? Um. Well, I think the, the the baseline should be, you know, get informed. <laughs> Start there. Pick up the F-Factor diet book. Um, it's all science. And what I love about science is that the numbers have to add up. And once you understand why it's working, that's where the natural buy-in happens. And you don't feel that this is being imposed on you. You are choosing to eat this way. You feel liberated. Eating any other way becomes illogical. So at F-Factor, we were saying fiber and protein at every meal makes losing weight no big deal. The good news is it's not cost prohibitive. So no matter what socioeconomic bracket you are, like it's not, it's fruits and vegetables and whole grains. It's foods that you probably already have in your pantry. But it's it's about, I, I really think that where people buy into F-factor and its benefits, it's A, it's obviously very effective, but it just makes sense to them. So I would absolutely encourage people, buy the book, follow me on social, you'll see how liberating it is. Um, But you'll also have these aha moments, which I see that happens when I do the education, and it really will dispel many of the myths that we've been encouraged to believe. So just, you know, for your listeners to know, you can lose weight without hunger. You can lose weight while drinking alcohol, while dining out, while eating carbs, and even working out less. And if it sounds too good to be true, I assure you that it's not. Um, So I would say, you know, begin by questioning 
you know, what you're hearing um, and dig deeper. Always be your own healthcare advocate. Don't just trust anything at face value. Even me, I mean, I always say this to people, like, I love a healthy debate. If I said anything that, like, doesn't make sense to you or you want to challenge me, I'm like, bring it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. And for our listeners, you can check them out at www.ffactor.com. Tanya, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was wonderful talking with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Tanya.